The desert and the parched land will be glad. The wilderness will rejoice and blossom. Like the crocus, it will burst into bloom. It will rejoice greatly and shout for joy. The glory of Lebanon will be given to it, the splendor of Carmel and Sharon. They will, they will see the glory of the Lord, the splendor of our God. Strengthen the feeble hands, steady the knees that give way. Say to those with fearful hearts, be strong, do not fear. Your God will come. He will come with vengeance, with divine retribution. He will come to save you. Then will the eyes of the blind be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then will the lame leap like a deer and the mute tongue shout for joy. Water will gush forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. The burning sand will become a pool, the thirsty ground bubbling springs. In the haunts where jackals once lay, grass and reeds and papyrus will grow. And a highway will be there. It will be called the way of holiness. It will be for those who walk on that way. The unclean will not journey on it. Wicked fools will not go about on it. No lion will be there, nor ravenous beast. They will not be found there. But only the redeemed will walk there, and those the Lord has rescued will return. They will enter Zion with singing. Everlasting joy will crown their heads. Gladness and joy will overtake them, and sorrow and sighing will flee away. It's the word of the Lord. Good morning. How's everybody today? Good? Good. Um, I love having this uh, whole year's worth of all the scriptures, the saying. I really love it. It really does. It, it works. It works for me. It makes my life a whole lot easier when it comes to children's messages because I have four options. Yeah? That's good. Um, today, the option that I chose is part of the, uh, the responsive reading, but not the part that I chose. I took the top half. You got the bottom half here. But that's okay, because it's all good. And that's what's the beauty of having this whole plan here, is all the pieces all fit together. So, I have a question for you. Has anybody ever lied to you? Is there anybody that's never been lied to? Let me see your hand if you've never been lied to. Yeah, okay, good. Because if you had raised your hand, you'd probably be a liar. <laughs> oh, wait, I didn't look back here. Did you raise your hand? Okay, good. <laughs> um, lying is, it makes you feel yucky when you find out it's a lie, right? I don't know how many times, you know, they say, oh, buy this, it'll make this happen, or buy that, or whatever, or do this. Or, yeah, I'll, I'll do that for you, and then it's not done. Or, um, yeah, I turned in my work. Mm -hmm. Well, where is it? Um, or, yeah, I'll get right on it. Yeah, a lot of lies. And lies make us feel kind of yucky. At least they make me feel kind of yucky and sad and disappointed. I'm, I'm disappointed when a student tells me, yeah, miss, I'm going to do that. I'm going to take it all home, and I'm going to do it over the weekend. And then they come in on Monday, 
and they've turned it all blank assignments. Drives me crazy. Makes me so disappointed because here I'm thinking, good, they're going to really take interest in their work and they're going to get it done. And all it does is make me have more work to do because I have to open everything, look at it, say, oops, where is your work? Send it back. Next one. Where is your work? And send it back. So lying isn't so good. Um, so the game that I brought today is kind of about lying. It's Balderdash. Have any of you ever played it? Yeah? It's kind of a fun game. Um, it's, a, it's a bluffing game, not a lying game. See, it says it right on there. It's a bluffing game. Bluffing. Bluffing is a softer word for lying. <laughs> um, so this game is a little more complicated than the other ones that I brought. It uh, takes a little bit more to explain it, and I hope I can explain it right. Um, so each person gets a little piece, and you put it on the start, and you have to roll a die, and you get, everybody gets a, one of these papers here, and somebody who gets the highest number, I guess, to start, picks a question from this, not a question, but from this mega box of <clears throat> words. And depending on the number that you roll, you have to read that word, the person, and everybody has to write what they think it means. Okay? So you have to come up with your own definition. It can be a good one or a not so good one. You're going to bluff to see if you can get people to think yours is the right answer. So then the person who read the question, then and they also write their answer down, which is the correct answer that's on the back of the card. And you mix them all up, and then the reader has to keep a straight face and read all of these. And everybody has to vote to see which one they think is the right answer. And you get points depending on whether yours was chosen as the right answer or whether you picked the right answer kind of thing. So. So the first word here is um, obad, A-U-B-A-D-E. Anybody know what that means? Who might know what that is? Obad, A-U-B-A-D-E. No? Sue doesn't know this one? Well, anybody want to make a guess? <laughs> That's a, there, you could write that down. That'll probably get a lot of votes. Um, it actually means morning in the uh, music in the morning, as opposed to a serenade, music in the evening. Okay, I looked through the whole box to find this one. Trust me. <laughs> uh, but that's the kind of thing. So everybody would write what they think it is. If Ron wrote, that's what I say when I did something wrong or told a lie, and everybody else in them, I would have to read all those, including the correct answer, and you would have to vote and see which one you thought was right. It's fun, kind of crazy, kind of about bluffing. So what does that all have to do with the scripture today? Well, as I said, I looked at the first part of Psalm 146, let me put all this back together, which says, praise the Lord, praise the Lord my soul. I will praise the Lord all my life. I will sing praise to my God as long as I live. That fits right with everything else. However, do not put your trust in princes, in human beings who cannot save, 
When their spirit departs, they return to the ground. On that very day, their plans come to nothing. Blessed are those whose help is in the Lord, the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord, their God. So, don't put your trust in just anybody, because just anybody might not tell you the truth. But there is one person who always tells us the truth, and that's God. We can put our trust in God. We can trust him for everything. And we can even trust him to put the right people in our path that will tell us the truth. People tell us all kinds of things. I remember that commercial for some insurance company or whatever I think it was, but it was Abe Lincoln and his wife, and she says, does this dress make me look fat? (laughs) Well, we all know Abe Lincoln can't tell a lie, but (laughs) Uh, anyway, so... We can't always trust everybody, but we can always, always trust God. And the rest of this passage is beautiful, because even the people that we think aren't worth it, God thinks is worth it. The prisoners, the oppressed, the the blind, the lame, everybody, the foreigners, the fatherless, the widows. The Lord reigns forever, and we should praise him and trust him. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we thank you that you are ever true. You will not ever lie or deceive us in any way. So we praise you today for that. And we thank you for the people that you put into our lives that we can trust. Help us to focus on that and on praising you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for the hope in the passages of Scripture that we've read today, for the trust that Mary had in you to do something crazy um, and to accept something crazy because you asked it of her. Lord, we pray that you will restore our spirits today. In Jesus' name, amen. We have been talking this whole time about what is already true and what is not yet apparent. Um, We're going through the Revised Common Lectionary this year, starting now and through the rest of this year. These are set scripture passages. Somebody else put them together. I didn't. Um, But you might have noticed that we still have a little bit of sermon series vibe going on. Um, So this current series, um, which is part of the lectionary, is the Advent Christmas series, and we're calling it Already Not Yet. What are we we talking about um, when we say already not yet? Okay, Jesus came and he's coming again, and what does that mean for our lives right now? Yeah, we're waiting, and there's some stuff that's true, right? became true in the world because Jesus came the first time, but we're kind of waiting for the fulfillment of it, right? So uh, the last two weeks, the first week we talked about hope, and last week we talked about peace, and we're kind of talking about this already kingdom. God's kingdom is already here, in a way, in us, in a not-yet world. 
But I've been talking about all these nice things, hope and peace and all that stuff, and today we're talking about joy. What does it feel like to you when I talk about this? Anything? <laughs> okay, that's good. All right, so you feel like Revelation paints a slightly scarier picture, maybe. Yeah, okay, go ahead, Ray. Hopefulness. That's great. Does anybody feel anything different than those things? It makes you remember. Oh, that's good. Yeah. Makes you remember what you already knew, but you've kind of put to the side or haven't really made the focus. That's great. Okay, joy and peace and love feel basic and, and simple to you. That's great. Yeah. Please. Okay. Thank you, Lorna. I was really worried that everybody in this congregation was more holy than me. Um, <laughs> so, so Lorna's saying, for those who can't hear because she doesn't have a mic, um, that these passages that we're looking at all have this sort of undercurrent of when's the other shoe going to drop? Like, this is all great, but, but there's this reality here. And this is, I, I think kind of what it means to be living in the already, not yet. We know that there are some things that are true that Jesus instituted already when he came here, but it doesn't always feel like it because he hasn't come back yet to restore everything and make everything right and fulfill all those promises. And sometimes it's just really hard to get a hold, at least emotionally, on what is true. So I'm really happy that so many of you feel like this is helping you reset and all that stuff. This week, for me, was rough. And it's not really because anything specifically difficult happened. It's just kind of like, you know, everything kind of piles on and then you just kind of, ugh. And so, like, we had a pretty difficult Thanksgiving, not with each other, just it was difficult. And there are health issues. I mean, there are people not here today because of health issues, and I've been dealing with weird stuff that's not COVID, but maybe is related to having had COVID before, and I don't know, and there's lots of special services coming up here, which are great, but that, like, provides other things for me to think about in an already full schedule, and the pilgrimage is going well, but I always have trouble getting people to sign up for my programs, and Every time I'm wondering who's going to sign up, and um, some of you know this. I'll I'll be honest here. Um, last year I had a pretty difficult bout with anxiety and depression, and so I am currently on medication for that, and that really helps. But this week does not help. <laughs> mm -hmm. 
I have been experiencing super anxiety, and pretty much the whole week I was like, I feel like phoning this sermon in. I don't want to do it. I just, I just don't want to do it. I have nothing. I've got nothing to say about joy. Sorry, nothing. And then there's this thing that every once in a while I feel, because I do all this God stuff all the time, like here at church and then online on the pilgrimage, and most of the people here, not everybody here, I know, but most of the people here, uh, let me say this, I love you, this congregation. I love this congregation, and I love the people I work with in the pilgrimage, and I feel like a lot of pastors have a lot more difficult groups of people to work with than I do. I think you guys are great, but I'm not 100% in the same place as most of you on some political things. Most of you are more conservative than I am. The pilgrimage is the opposite. Most of those people are more progressive than I am. And so I always feel like I'm in this place of like, I don't really fit anywhere, and I'm trying to do all this stuff, and is any of it making a difference? And is anything I say making any sense? Sometimes I don't feel like it does. I am not trying to be whiny here. <clears throat> I'm, trying to be, I'm trying to be real. And I'm not trying to, I don't imagine that my scenario is worse than other people's or more important than other people's. I know a lot of people are facing much more difficult things than I am. I just want to acknowledge that if you hear me preaching about hope and peace and joy, and what's already true, first of all, I am preaching it sincerely. I really mean what I'm saying. I'm not being a hypocrite standing up here telling you something I don't believe. I really believe it because I have spent decades wrestling with the scriptures and wrestling with God in the scriptures. I really believe it. But even though I believe it's true, and even though I am sincere in what I'm saying, I don't always feel it. And it's okay if you don't either. So, two things happened this week on Thursday, because I'm here on Thursdays, and sometimes some of you are too. It's great. And um, that helped me get a little bit more motivated to write this sermon. Um, one of them was Kathleen came into the office. I wasn't expecting her to. And we had a chat, and it was a really helpful chat. And in that chat, she asked a question about joy. Do you want to ask it yourself? or? Oh, okay. I'll, I'll read what you texted me, because <laughs> it looks like that's what you were going to do. So this is what Kathleen asked me. Is joy a marker of the Christian life? Said another way, if someone isn't joyful at any point in their following Jesus, does that show that they aren't really following Jesus, but maybe instead they're following rules or doctrine or something else? Or, another way, shouldn't our increasing knowing and experiencing God produce an increasingly joyful life? So if we know God, if we're following God, shouldn't we be getting more, either more and more joyful, or shouldn't we at least experience more joy than we were before? Is that fair? Okay. Do you want to clarify anything? Well, I think in the world, we think that 
Yes. There is, what's that? <laughs> so, yeah, we, I do want to make a distinction. There's a difference between depression and grumpiness. But I don't think we need to go there. Just on the basis of that question itself, what do you think? Should a person be feeling more joyful as they follow Jesus longer? Overall, yes. Okay. If you, Tom says, if you have a period where you're not joyful, the only thing it means is that you're human. I think that's fair. Right? The apostles weren't always joyful, I guess. Huh? Jesus wasn't either. Would it help... If we knew what joy was, what the heck is it? <laughs> Maybe it's a dishwashing liquid, so yeah. Right. Maybe Isaiah 35 can help. Okay, so I love Isaiah 35. It is one of my favorite passages in the Bible. I just love the imagery of it. It is so hopeful and when I read it, I feel like, oh, yes, this is what I want. But when I was sitting down trying to figure out what to say about it, I had no idea, and I was asking God about it, and I felt like God said, let the passage speak for itself. So we're going to do that, and then we're going to talk a little more. Um, I'm going to read the whole thing again. Paul read it perfectly well the first time, but I'm going to read it again, and I want you to notice what you notice, what stands out for you, or what's a favorite phrase in the passage, or, or image, picture that Isaiah is painting with his words, and what does joy seem to mean in this passage? Okay, you don't have to read along if you don't want to, you can. Um, if you want to close your eyes to listen, that's fine. The desert and the parched land will be glad. The wilderness will rejoice and blossom like the crocus, it will burst into bloom. It will rejoice greatly and shout for joy. The glory of Lebanon will be given to it, the splendor of Carmel and Sharon. They will see the glory of the Lord, the splendor of our God. Strengthen the feeble hands. Steady the knees that give way. Say to those with fearful hearts, be strong. Do not fear. Your God will come. He will come with vengeance, with divine retribution. He will come to save you. Then will the eyes of the blind be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then will the lame leap like a deer and the mute tongue shout for joy. Water will gush forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. The burning sand will become a pool, the thirsty ground bubbling springs. In the haunts where jackals once lay, gr grass and reeds and papyrus will grow, and a highway will be there. It will be called the way of holiness. It will be for those who walk on that way. The unclean will not journey on it. Wicked fools will not go about on it. No lion will be there, nor any ravenous beast. They will not be found there, but only the redeemed will walk there, and those the Lord has rescued will return. They will enter Zion with singing. Everlasting joy will crown their heads. Gladness and joy will overtake them, and sorrow and sighing will flee away. What do you think? 
What did you, what did you notice, or what stood out to you, or what did you really like in that? That's true. The, the <laughs> bouncing hearts. <laughs> okay. So we're maybe still in the desert. It hasn't burst into bloom yet. Kathleen? The highway sounds like the road to heaven, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Right. Oh, a safe road. A safe road, yeah. Uh-huh. Well, so, so is joy. Gladness and joy overtakes you. So you're going to get mugged on the highway, but it's by gladness and joy. And sorrow and sighing. What's that? <laughs> All right, I'll try to remember to put that in the summary. So this is a really a great already not yet picture. David mentioned heaven. When we think of Jesus' return, a lot of times we think of him taking us up to be with him forever in heaven, right? Do we think that? So, and then how do we picture heaven? You don't. Okay. Oh, that's cool. Interesting. That's cool. So, yeah. Okay. Well, the Bible's idea of heaven. We we've we've talked about this a, a long time ago, but the Bible actually talks about we in English we translate it heaven, but it's really the heavens, and the heavens is a spiritual realm. But I think when we're talking about heaven, a lot of times what we mean is not the spiritual realm that overlays this one, but the final destination or the good place where people reconciled to God go. And in both Testaments, both the Old Testament and the New Testament, the picture of heaven that is painted most often is a restored and renewed earth. So we see pictures of banquets and peaceful animals like we talked about last week and people being reunited like the prodigal son and deserts becoming gardens. This isn't the only place where God 
uses this imagery through a prophet. So in this Isaiah passage, we see a desert that miraculously bursts into bloom, and in this word picture that Isaiah is painting right here, no one is leaving the desert to go somewhere else. The desert is becoming a place of fruitfulness. So we could be in this spiritual desert, this emotional desert. We might be having a hard time right now. And in the already, there is, like what Ron was talking about, you know, in the flower, that ha the flowers outside right now, they are not blooming. They are. That's amazing. But there is in them something already there so they can burst into bloom when the right time comes. They don't have to go somewhere else to bloom. So there is joy in fruitfulness. The desert becoming a place of fruitfulness is miraculous. The desert and the parched land will be glad. The wilderness will rejoice and blossom. Like the crocus, it will burst into bloom. It will rejoice greatly and shout for joy. And actually, there's also joy in being part of God's glory. On the first Sunday in Advent, we talk about the nations streaming up to the mountain of the Lord. But in this picture, they're streaming into the desert, which seems insane. It's not like people are being taken out of the desert. People are streaming to the desert because it is becoming a place of fruitfulness. And the people who are streaming to it are becoming part of its transformation. This is what the glory of Lebanon will be given to it, the splendor of Carmel and Sharon. They will see the glory of the Lord, the splendor of our God. This is what it means. These are all real places in the Bible times, and Lebanon, we know, still exists. And Lebanon, at least, I don't know much about Carmel and Sharon, but Lebanon was known for its forests. And you can still, I mean, the, tree, the cedar of Lebanon, that's a phrase in the Bible a lot. It's also a symbol that masons use. There's, there's all kinds of famous things about the forests in Lebanon. Their glory, so glo Lebanon's glory was its forests. Basically, this is saying the, the thing that made Lebanon famous is going to make this desert famous. What made these other places glorious is going to be what God uses to make this desert, this fruitless wasteland, glorious. And in the process, those places, those people, will see God's glory and be part of God's glory. It is glorious and joyful to be caught up into the glory and the glory bringing of God. There's also joy in strengthening each other with reminders of who God is. So back to Kathleen's question. If we're fo really following Jesus, shouldn't that produce an increasingly joyful life? I think this is actually related to Kathleen's sermon that she preached a couple weeks ago and the entire book of Ephesians. This is why we need each other. If there is joy in encouraging each other to remember who God is, then we really need each other when we're going through times like I just described for myself and like some of you I know are going through too. We don't need to give each other hollow optimism. When I trained as a chaplain, my chaplain supervisor used to say, I don't want you going in there and being a happy chaplain. 
No happy chaplains. <laughs> don't just try to make people feel better. Don't tell them it's going to be fine. Don't worry, you're going to be okay. That's not what we're talking about here. That's ultimately not that encouraging. You know if you're not in a good place and someone says it's going to be fine, just cheer up. Does that work? Uh-uh. <laughs> um, so we want to go into the place where each other is. That's what Jesus did for us, right? He came here, he entered our pain, he entered our sorrow and our suffering. But that is where the joy comes. So we don't have to just give each other pats on the back and say, cheer up. But what we do need to do is keep encouraging each other to keep hoping, keep working for peace, keep looking for the work that all God is already doing around us, keep digging into scripture to see the work that God already did in the past, and keep looking out for Jesus to return and fulfill it all. Strengthen the feeble hands, Isaiah says. Steady the knees that give way. Say to those with fearful hearts, be strong, do not fear, your God will come. He will come with vengeance, with divine retribution. He will come to save you. We all need this. I'm your pastor, and it's probably kind of my job to strengthen your hands and steady your knees, metaphorically. And I love to do that. But I'm also one of you. And sometimes, maybe more often than you would think, I need you to do that for me. I don't need you to say, oh, Pastor Jen, you're doing a great job, and it'll all be fine. But I do need you to remind me who God is and what God's already done. Two of you did that this week. Ron, did, you did it when you were like, basically saying, really, you're not going to write a sermon? <laughs> um, and I was like, there's obviously something to write here. I should have something to write. And it made me go back and look at the, at the word and, and really think about it. And Kathleen, you did it by asking these questions. We need to do this for each other, and I need it just as much as you guys. We need to be here for each other. This is why the church exists. Then, when we do this for each other, will the eyes of the blind be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped? Then will the lame leap like a deer and the mute tongue shout for joy? Strengthening each other in God is healing, and healing happens on multiple layers. So sometimes the healing will be physical and it will be as miraculous as a desert suddenly bursting into bloom and turning into a forest, or as a person with a physical disability completely overcoming it. It could be that kind of healing, but it could also be the kind of healing in relationships that we need that only God can do. Or it could be a mental health healing or it could be an emotional healing these kinds of things are also miraculous, and these are the kinds of things that only God can do. But as we strengthen each other's hands and steady each other's knees, these are the kinds of things that can begin to happen. This is what Jesus did when he came here the first time and what he's going to do completely when he comes here again. There's one other piece of joy. Those are all things that joy occurs in. But there's one other piece of joy that, frankly, I have a hard time understanding. You've got, you guys have heard of C.S. Lewis, right? 
he wrote the Chronicles of Narnia and a bunch of other stuff. And he was a really smart dude. And he had this interesting concept of what joy meant. He described joy as longing. As this kind of deep longing, the ache for something beyond this world. Okay, let me be honest. I still don't totally get that. I've known this for decades, that that's what C.S. Lewis thought about it, and I still can't totally wrap my mind around it, except that maybe in the not yet existence that we live in, that is sometimes the closest to fulfilled joy that we're going to get, and the fulfilled joy will come in fullness when Jesus returns. Maybe this longing Lewis is talking about is not just for something beyond this world, but something more than this world, or this world restored to what it was meant to be. I think Isaiah 35 is a picture designed to stir up this kind of joy, this kind of longing. When I read it, I feel longing for everything in that passage. And it also makes me feel happy. Because it is a picture of deserts and people and highways <laughs> being joyful, and I long for it. And so I wonder if strengthening the hands and steadying the knees of the people of God really means encouraging each other to long for God and his return. And if that is the case, then joy is a lifelong process, and probably this kind of longing joy, not the fulfilled joy of heaven on earth, but the joy of longing, is something that every person following Jesus will experience in glimmers and flashes. So maybe, in relation to your question, Kathleen, even if we don't experience, if we're following Jesus, even if we never experience this, like, yes, ecstatic, whatever we think joy is, we will catch glimpses of this longing of the kingdom of God. Even if we're not naturally optimists, even if we struggle with anxiety and depression, even if we have less than perfect families or jobs, because... As we travel following Jesus, we will be drawing closer to Jesus himself, who loves us. And the longing that we experience for the good things of the kingdom will eventually turn more and more into a longing for him, for Jesus himself. And he is joy. He is the source of our joy. And he is the one who will truly be able to fulfill our joy. And a highway will be there. It will be called the way of holiness. It will be for those who walk on that way. The unclean will not journey on it. Wicked fools will not go about on it. No lion will be there, nor any ravenous beast. They will not be found there, but only the redeemed will walk there. And those the Lord has rescued will return. They will enter Zion with singing. Everlasting joy will crown their heads. Gladness and joy will overtake them, and sorrow and sighing 
will flee away. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, this is what we long for. We long for gladness and joy. We long to be free of sorrow and sighing. We long for you. Even so, come Lord Jesus. Amen.